Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round, we're doing the video game, the sensation, the absolute stone-cold classic that is Tetris. Now, why am I doing it right now, seeing that this was a game that came out in the 1980s? Because Apple TV is having a movie about the creation of Tetris and the distribution of this game around the world that's coming out right at the end of March 2023, starring Taran Egerton, and there'll be a lot more about that in a minute. But what this is going to end up getting us talking about is the state of the video game market today in the 21st century. Something about what exactly is play and fun, and also a little bit about the world of business. So, where to start with this one? Because I don't want to go into all of the history and to a certain extent, anthropology or natural science that goes on with this story. I know, this is going to go back a long time, pre-human era even. But let's start with the game rather than the movie. So, in the 1970s, late 1970s, we start seeing the evolution of video games being brought out to the public. If you want to look into the actual history of video games and indeed 3D imaging, it goes back into the 1960s. So all that's going on. But to be blunt, the first time people were really aware of this thing called video games was the absolute classic Space Invaders and also Pong. which was a very graphically simple game that you could get on a basic Atari system, which you would plug into your TV. All of that was happening in the very late 70s into the early 80s, and people liked them. And so this got the attention of all kinds of companies, including Nintendo. Now, when I say Nintendo, I know what you're thinking of. You're thinking of things like Mario and the Game Boy, and the Super Nintendo system, and all these other great things that they've done over the decades. But here's a thing about Nintendo, which, again, 
leads us a little bit into the historical context, it may surprise you to know that Nintendo started in the 1880s. Now, clearly, they weren't creating steam-powered, coal-driven Game Boys at that time. What were they doing? They were creating playing cards, making manufacturing playing cards, which you might play bridge or poker or whatever, you know, those sorts of cards. Then, later into the 20th century, they start evolving into board games. Then they move into plastic toys, and then in the 1970s, they realize that there's this craze for video games, and they start creating some basic video game console equipment. And so you can see that that has been an evolution over a hundred years. But, I'm going to ask you right now, with those descriptions, they've always been in the same market. What market is that? Games. It's just as people changed how they consumed games or played games, they adapted to what the market was telling them. And indeed, this leads me on to something else a bit strange, that when I talk to you about the evolution of Nintendo, and as I've said, there's a movie about Tetris, I'm starting to see a few films coming out that are about business. Now, what's interesting is, and maybe I'll do a podcast on it at some point, there's a whole area of negotiation, which is, I'm going to argue on life skill. It's something I train on. I consider myself skilled in that area. I'm not going to start calling myself an expert. But the interesting thing about negotiation is it appears in lots of different parts of life. Perhaps the most famous area, and certainly there are lots of films about this, is the police hostage negotiator. Now, that's not the same, clearly, as a business negotiator negotiating some kind of new deal or contract or something like that. I would argue that the basic principles remain the same, but obviously the whole dressing is a bit different. So, yes, there are movies about negotiation. There are movies about salespeople, which I've done a whole episode on. It's The Wonderful World of Wolf of Wall Street, Glengarry Gellert, Glenn Ross. It's White Gold, a TV show. There are lots of things that show sales. And again, you want to know more? Listen to that episode. There's also, I've done an episode on We Crash, the story of We Works. And so Tetris, like We Crashed, like another movie called Air, like another movie called The Founder, we're starting to see movies about business, not specifically the sales team, not specifically just the negotiation that's going on, but really, this is how business works. And obviously, sometimes it's a little bit cutthroat. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Hard to tell sometimes, but they tend to be less sensational views of how a company operates compared to something like The Wolf of Wall Street reflecting sales, which is, for the record, not a very accurate portrayal of what your average sales team gets up to during the week. Don't believe me? Walk into their office if you're in a company. The interesting thing is, unless you're in an institution, like a government department or the NHS or something like that, if you're in a company, call it whatever you want, there is a sales team. And I bet they don't have like the Wolf of Wall Street. So I'm actually going to briefly go back to the founder, which I mentioned in passing, which stars Michael Keaton as Ray Kroc. Now, what's any of this got to do with Tetris, you'll see in a moment, because Ray Kroc is a real man who in the 1950s was selling kitchen equipment, not something that you get in your average everyday kitchen, but selling it to things like restaurants and hotels, you know, for large industrial mixing bowls and things like that. And Ray happened to meet these two brothers, 
the MacDonald brothers, and they had revolutionised this new fast way of producing burgers quickly. No frills, no cutlery. That means we don't have to wash plates and knives and forks or anything like that. They already are cooking the burgers as you're walking up because they're going to assume they're going to sell some burgers. And so they create this concept of fast food. And of course, you all know who McDonald's are. But what you may not realize is the McDonald's brothers eventually stepped away from the business because it was Ray Kroc who had a sales background, who understood the franchising potential of this thing. And so it's the story of the tensions ultimately between Ray and the brothers and how without Ray, whatever you may think of him in this film, because I'm certainly there are scenes where he is not the good guy, but if we just trusted in the McDonald's brothers to do the right thing, well, they would be a pretty much unknown Western restaurant that probably faded away when the brothers retired in, I'm going to say, the 1970s or something like that. You needed somebody like Ray Kroc to turn it into the franchise, to see how they created this amazing foundation, but now they actually need some vision going on. And so, yeah, brilliant movie. Really thoroughly recommend it. It's kind of suitable for the whole family. I think there's one bad word in the whole thing to just give it a 12 rating, PG-13 or whatever. But it's about people talking about business. There are no car chases, violence, or anything particularly adult going on in the film. It's a really interesting, if slightly sensationalized, view of business, and I like it. And then we had WeWorks. Again, you want to hear that whole story about We Crashed. Please listen to that episode. But then out this year, in 2023... We've got Air, which I've already mentioned in passing. That's the true story about the launch of Air Jordans, you know, those sneakers slash trainers that revolutionized the world and really did change the fortunes of a sneaker manufacturer, using American phrasing there. It is, again, a really interesting look at the risks you have to take in business, the discussions you have to have, phrases like ROI, return on investment, You've got to basically spend money to make money, so you better spend it in the right area or you've just wasted some money. Do you know if this sports person's going to become the next big thing? Obviously, we all know what happens with Michael Jordan, but just imagine sitting there right now looking at a roster of all the latest players in whatever sports you follow and try and guess, well, if we start talking to them now, we'll get them relatively low cost, but also we evolve with that player. But... All you need is one scandal, and suddenly you're associated with a toxic brand, a toxic person, if you like. And a lot of these young sports people, well, they're not necessarily monks or nuns, and they can do all kinds of naughty things. You know, you've all seen the scandals. So that's Air, and then you've got Tetris, which... Okay, Air Jordans you're all aware of. You're probably aware of Tetris. It's one of the most famous brands in gaming history... But it's like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that would have to be invented, wouldn't it? So I am going to go into the history of it in a minute. But first of all, the interesting thing about Tetris is it's a really unusual name. And, and actually, the creator was a gentleman called Alexei Payetnov, which, if you can't work out, that's obviously unlikely to be, let's say, an English name. And indeed, Alexei is Russian. And the interesting thing, as I've been talking about the 1980s, is Russia was part of the Soviet Union at that point, and I'll go into more of that in the history bit in a minute, but really, 
the Soviet Union, I think it's safe to say, you can already guess this, was not world-renowned for creating video games, and certainly not one that would stand the test of time, and nearly 40 years later, we would still be playing that same game. But Alexei got it right. He created a design classic. And so, what you see in the movie is a very simplified, and for the purposes when I get to the history bit, I will also be simplifying it, of basically the tensions of going to the Soviet Union, which clearly is the exact opposite of a commercial enterprise, and wanting things like profits and things like that. That's kind of the exact opposite of the communist ideal. Free market economy is the other flip side of the managed economy. So in other words, you've got the West versus the Soviet Union and China in those days in the 1980s. So you can understand trying to negotiate international rights for a video game where does anybody even own it? Because owning property is, again, the opposite of what the Soviet Union's about. Hopefully you can see that's quite an interesting idea for a film. And indeed, Taran Edgerton, he ends up playing Victor Briabrin, who is the principal negotiator to get the rights of Tetris to Nintendo. And you can see that probably took him a while and it got complicated. And oh boy, did it get complicated in real life. And so it's a genuinely interesting movie. It's a bit like The Social Network, where, yes, it's about the creation of Facebook, but really what it's about is somebody's created a wonderful thing that everybody wants. And as soon as everybody wants it, it starts being worth money and you've come from nothing and now you've got people out to get you. Maybe not physically, but in terms of will I walk out the other side of this with any actual money? It's an interesting idea and it's the same sort of thing that happens in The Founder with McDonald's and with Air, with Air Jordan, and here indeed with Tetris in the sense that Victor, he's in the middle of this. He is neither Nintendo that makes the video games, nor is he the inventor. He's not Alexei. So he has to torturously get through all this. If you like, the risk is all on him. But if he gets it right, the rewards will be huge. So that's an interesting idea for a, for a movie. And again, it doesn't involve people sort of shooting down stuff or anything particularly sexy or anything like that. It's a story of business, and it is interesting to me how rarely do we actually see business being portrayed in movies and TV shows, etc. It's far more often that we're going to see cops or doctors or what have you, superheroes. That's not even a job. And yet most of us work in some kind of business in one way or another, and it's interesting to see because we've all got a point of reference as to what a marketing department's like or what HR is like or whatever. And yet we hardly ever see that on the screen. Perhaps the best example would be The Office, where the office environment is turned into a comedy. And it was a huge hit both in the UK with the original version and with the American version as well. So it does show you that we do like to see a crazy version, a heightened reality version of our normal everyday lives, and we don't necessarily always want to see John McClane being a cop fighting off terrorists in Nakatomi Tower. So that's what's going on in the movie. Now let's get back to the actual video game. Again, I'm sort of, I don't want to sort of dilute things and start talking about the historical context, but basically Alexei actually invented it in 1984, and it wasn't till 1986 that it was sort of like starting to become commercially available beyond the borders of the Soviet Union. 
and really it was, to be fair to Victor for a moment, basically he, sorry, I am, I just realised, see, I have notes for this. Taron Edgerton does not play Victor Briabrin. He plays Hank Rogers, who was the representative for Nintendo to try and get the rights for Nintendo. I apologise there, sorry. I, but I think you can tell from my notes that, yeah, this is going to get complicated and I'm going to give you the streamlined version. So anyway, Hank, working for Nintendo. Nintendo do indeed get the right spoiler, I guess. But everybody knows, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, the Game Boy, the Nintendo Game Boy, was just the thing to have. And it came with Tetris. So... Everybody had a copy of Tetris, and it was beautiful to play. Now, if you don't know what Tetris is, I don't know who you are, because more than 200 million copies of this game have been sold, not including the knockoffs of it as well. And, you know, by now, with all the digital downloads as well, this could easily be 300 million. And indeed, there are still revamps and different versions of Tetris coming out. It is refreshed regularly. But really, what it is, is you have blocks slowly descending down the screen. They are always four blocks, hence Tetra. Now, in the case of Alexei, he knew that he was using blocks of four, so that's Tetra. And he likes the game tennis, and he knew it was a game rather than just a shape. So therefore, he combined the word Tetra and tennis, and that's how you get Tetris. Clever, huh? Okay, there we go. Anyway. So you've got these four blocks, but they're in different shapes. You could have them all in one light, the long one, which everybody wants. Or you could have something that kind of looks like a T, or it could be just a square. And you've got the sort of zigzaggy ones. So the point is, as they go down, you will need to slot them together. Because if you create an entire row from side to side, from left to right, or right to left, doesn't matter. When that row is complete, it disappears, and then everything chunks down one row and then they keep cascading down and so the weird thing about tetris like a lot of the early games think of things like space invaders or pac-man in the sense that it never ends it just keeps going and you also cannot beat it because as these things cascade down maybe you do continually get rid of lines across the screen but they're going to keep cascading down there's no last block and that is the genius of this game. It's sort of... Well, people use the term with video games, which we have to be very careful with, of addictive. Now, addiction in itself is a disease. It is terrible. It is crippling. You can be addicted to multiple different types of things, many different elements, many different chemicals, etc. This is obviously a sad thing, and if you ever are worried about that, I strongly say you need to seek professional help to help you with that. It's not something you can just sort of suck it up and, and fix it yourself. You will need some kind of guidance with it, and I wish you all the best with that. What they really mean with video games is, oh, I'm just going to play it for another, another round of it, or I'm going to play it for 10 more minutes, or something like that. It hooks you in. And indeed, this is where we get to the world of the state of video games nowadays. Because when it comes to the original version that Alexei created in 1984, he was creating it on a Soviet Union-approved and created computer called the Electronica 60, which 
was rubbish. Uh, it basically was launched in 1978, so you can imagine what the processing power was then, and lasted till the end of the Soviet Union, 1991. Now, by the late 1980s, you had had things like evolutions, like things like the Amiga and the Atari 500 and things like that. Now, again, compared to modern computers, these things look positively prehistoric, but compared to the Electronica 60, they were decades ahead, literally and also metaphorically too. So, Yes, to be able to create a basic block game on a computer that had no graphics card. It had really, it wasn't meant to have any graphical interface at all. It was just meant to be text on a screen. Alexei, you're a genius. But the reason why these early games were so incredibly hard, and the reason why they just kept going, is because the technology wasn't there. People were making it up as they went along. There was no if you like, rules to video games. Though the classic example being, with Space Invaders, the reason why the alien invaders start speeding up is because at the beginning, when there's something like 50 sprites, 50 images on the screen, that's about as far as that game console can go. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And so it's an absolute max processing and therefore it's doing it slowly. But as you whittle them down, there's less on the screen. And so basically the whole thing speeds up. The processing happens faster because it doesn't have to create as many images. And so by accident a level of difficulty was created in the game which was never meant to be there in the first place. 
And it's the same kind of thing with Tetris. It wasn't meant to torture you. There are some people who say that Alexei was making a political statement about the Soviet Union because you are constantly building this wall that is slowly disappearing, which is a bit like some of the work people had to do in the Soviet Union. Work for the sake of work, basically. I am the man who arranges the blocks that descend upon me from up above. I don't think that was ever his intention. But the point about Pong or Pac-Man or Tetris is they were meant to be played. They didn't have a lot of cool graphics, so it's like, we just want you to spend your time with this game, so we're going to make it as fun as possible. And that has very much disappeared. We now have the phrase, game as service, which I hate as a concept. A classic example of that will be something like Fortnite, which I'm sure most of you have heard of, where basically the idea is if you log on every day, you'll get a little boost of experience points or something else. And if you play three days in a row, we will reward you with something else. In other words, it's busy work. We want you to keep coming back here. Are you going to change the game? Nope. Same game, same graphics, same old stuff, but we will give you little doohickeys, little little meaningless things that you can have to make you feel like, oh, I've accomplished something. It's trying to create that game loop, which something like Tetris does just naturally. It's like, I want to finish off this wall. I want to do the next bit. Or I can see that the next one the next tile that's coming down is the long one, all in a straight row. That's going to fix my problem. I'm going to keep playing. But the problem with your Fortnites or your Overwatches or your Battlefields is once you played the game, once you kind of played the game, you're playing against other people and sometimes they're pretty toxic and sometimes it just isn't that fun. You rage quit, which is where you could just switch off the console, get angry with it kind of thing. So you wouldn't necessarily rage quit with something like a tetris or a pac-man instead it's just like we want to give you a game it's very the beautiful thing about these early video games is because they didn't have much in the way of graphics they had to make it pretty obvious pretty quickly what you gotta do and tetris it's like i get it okay these these are solid things that are cascading down the screen i better get them into an order i better sort of like build something out of it Oh, look, they're disappearing. Okay, now I get it. Now I get what the whole thing is. Whereas with something like Elden Ring, which I did a whole episode on in 2022, I did two episodes on it, actually. It's like, that is a monumental game. But even that game, which from software are notoriously like being obscure, even that game is kind of teaching you things as you go along. And you're still learning new little tips and tricks 10 hours into playing it, maybe even later. Indeed, one of the joys of from software is watching videos of, pe of things which people have worked out and it's like okay yeah great I, I see that you've worked out that thing okay fair enough well done good for you you're now going to help me a little bit as well with that so with all that in mind this kind of game development is nowadays you hear things like look at the amazing graphical ability and indeed if you do see a sort of like a recent release game something like god of war ragnarok or something like that they are utterly gorgeous games that doesn't guarantee now in the case of god of war that was a very good game but sometimes developers spend more time making it pretty than making it playable and particularly if it's like well we're going to turn this into a game of service you know type scenario it's like all you want to do is just 
make me sit there and play it again and again and again. Or and the other thing about games of service is, well, if you don't like grinding, if you don't like just doing it again and again and again, you can give us some real life money and then you can get the brand new pair of purple pants that in no way help you play the game but you have the bragging rights that you've got the brand new purple pants and everybody else wants the purple pants, but you've decided to either grind and grind, which means play and play and play it, or just give us five pounds, five dollars, whatever. And I have a problem with that. You're trying to turn it into a business platform and not a fun gaming platform. No, I say no to that. Good day to you, sir. So that is the situation about the video game and the movie Tetris. But now let's look into, as I said, let's talk about the world of fun and games. I think I've sort of moved into it quite well there because obviously I've just been talking about how modern games may actually, they absolutely look better. And, you know, there are so many people working on them and some of their scores are a thing of beauty, but none of that guarantees that it's actually fun to play. I'll give you just another quick example of that. I've recently been playing Battlefield 2042, which is an online game where you're basically a soldier running around shooting things, capturing points of interest and things like that. The developers of that try and make it as flexible as possible. You can literally fly a helicopter and then leap out of the helicopter, open your parachute and land on the top of a skyscraper which you're never really meant to get to there's no stairs up to it or anything but now i'm on the top of it and now with my sniper's rifle i can hit you from half a mile away if that doesn't sound fun you're right but that's not the worst of it because those helicopters tend to be able to go where the infantry can't including areas which only the enemy can go so in other words when you die you reappear that's called spawning and you reappear in an area way at the back so you're safe from enemy activity unless they're pretty good with a helicopter gunship, in which case, literally, this happened to me yesterday, and I did rage quit at this point, because what's the point? What's the point of dying, resurrecting yourself, spawning in the spawn area, and you just have a helicopter gunship circling it, constantly firing its its bullets and grenades, and then just dying again? It's like, well done, well done. You have mastered the use of that helicopter, which can fire flares, which stops people using infrared rockets on it, and it's moving too fast to use anything else on it. Ugh. It's like, this This is not fun. And just, just appearing and dying is not fun. Tetris understands that you need to give people a little bit more time playing the game. So, yes, I switched that off, said some rather adult language, and did something else. So, Battlefield 2042, you failed at the fundamental hurdle of, like, games should be fun. That is the point of them. I digress. So... Let's go back to fun and games, quite literally. And what I find interesting is you tend to see other mammals, not even humans, playing. Yes, we are all aware. We've all seen cute images of things like young chimpanzees or young gorillas rolling around and clearly playing with each other and, and having fun. But we can go further back than that. What's interesting is, while I did mention chimpanzees and gorillas predators and obviously i wouldn't classify human beings as predators either but a lot of predators tend to play more than something like ungulates which are hoofed animals you don't tend to see cows playing very much but literally you can see cubs as in bear cubs lion cubs fox cubs all of these young will play and what are they doing they're kind of emulating what the adults do they're basically learning the skills of stalking but 
in a safe environment where they're moving around. Now, I guess going back to Battlefield 2042, I would never want to be in a war, but I do quite like running around shooting people in Battlefield 2042, so you could argue that that would be the human version of hunting in essence, although that's a pretty grim, sinister way of looking at it. But yes, there are lots of young from lots of different animals, tends to be mammalian rather than avian or anything else so that that's what's going on there and so what are they doing they're kind of learning the rules of life but under the supervision of mum and dad or whatever and they don't tend to get too badly hurt interestingly there is that phrase about going ape i won't finish the the phrase but let's call it going ape poop the reason for that is because when two adolescent gorillas will still be playing but by now they're getting quite large and if the rough and tumble gets too much the worried gorilla will literally defecate right then and there so in other words the other gorilla knows i've gone too far so using the term going ape poop is a pretty accurate phrase really from the animal kingdom there you go something you bet you didn't think i'd get to from the from the world of tetris so fun and games like I say, have always been there. But then we now move into how we've actually played games. And there are literally boards from ancient Babylonian era, so 4,000 years old, where that, that board game actually evolved. And because of an old lady who happened to remember playing it as a young girl, we still have the basic rules of this. It might be Awari in West Africa. It might be chess around the world, etc. There are games that have been around for centuries. There are lots of silly things that we've done over the centuries. You even get something like Robin Hood, where, you know, in terms of his legends, a classic one is everybody's at an archery contest. An archery contest is another form of game, basically. There are similar type games that go on in the ancient Greek chronicles as well. So basically, we tend to think of the past as utterly humorless and no fun whatsoever. But people did stop and smell the roses and were silly at times. And I think that's really important to remember. Human beings haven't just got silly in the last 200 years. We've always liked a bit of fun and we've always played games in some way or another. So there we go. I've taken you from literally the animal kingdom, free human, into the world of humans playing games, etc. But let's keep going into the world of video games. So as, as I've already said, sort of like 1970s, they start taking off. Home computers, indeed, are really important in terms of spreading these things. And then you also get home consoles as well. Like I said, you get something like the Amiga, which is what I had in the late 1980s which was very well regarded because you could, in theory, write a letter on it like I did. Of course, like every other kid in the 80s, I convinced my parents, of course, I'm going to do my homework on it. Never did any homework on it. I did like playing Speedball 2 and Batman 1989 video game and other games were are available for that. Yes, Turrican just suddenly popped into my head. Well, that was also available on the Commodore 64. If you're a child of the 80s, this might make sense to you. Otherwise, this is meaningless. But anyway, meanwhile, as I said, in the Soviet Union, we have the wonderful Alexei Patnyitnov, which is why we just keep calling him Alexei, because, yeah, give me a break here, people. But as I sort of alluded to, the point of the Soviet Union 
This is, if you like, what a lot of people don't understand about the difference between Russia today and the Soviet Union in the past. With the Soviet Union, they were genuinely trying to spread an ideology, a different way of running society. Putin just wants power and land and the respect slash fear of everyone else around the world, which isn't nearly as attractive. But the fundamental principles of the communist ideal is why should anybody be paid any more? Surely we're all worth the same. Surely we should all work together for a common good. And when you put it like that, kind of makes sense. And indeed, I think I've made this reference years ago on the podcast. I actually read a paper when I was doing my degree in archaeology, which was cavemen were communist. And it's true. Living together, sharing the food is exactly what a commune, a communist, would be. However, the writer was actually having a bit of fun with this because clearly using the 19th century concept of communism with 10,000 years ago is a deliberately anachronistic, but it makes you think. It shows you that in and of itself, communism is not a bad idea. The problem is, is once you have civilization rather than caveman hunting, gathering, foraging, etc., and we all start wanting our own home for our own family. And if I'm going to work in the fields, I want to be able to take that food back and not to just very ask nicely the people in charge, can I have some of the grain that I've spent all this time harvesting? That's the problem with communism in a nutshell. But the problem with that, if nobody owns anything and Alexei's created this game, well, the idea of publisher rights in the Soviet Union just didn't exist. So when this video game started to show interest in the rest of the world in 1986, they actually found it really hard. And this is where we can bring Victor in. Apologies. So we got Victor Briabrin, who was basically a contact that Alexei had. And Alexei wanted to basically spread it. And maybe there could be an interest beyond the Soviet Union to be interested in Tetris. He was absolutely right on that, by the way. And so Victor was the contact out into the West, in inverted commas. Obviously, Japan's not West, that'd be East, but you get the idea. And so it was Victor who started to talk to various people. And indeed, Victor, because he didn't really understand property rules in the West, he basically started giving different companies publishing rights for Tetris. Now, he wasn't trying to con anybody, but he'd be like, you have the distribution rights in America, and you have the distribution rights in Germany. It made sense, but obviously video games tend to be spread around the world, so that was that was problem number one, and I'm, I'm keeping things simple. But then we have to put in here Robert Stein, who is a British guy who sold software in the 1980s, and he picked up on Tetris, and he started getting involved and trying to buy up as many of these rights as possible. Other people had the rights, but he also had rights. And so, rights, rights, rights. I think I said rights enough time. So basically, Stein kind of led the field in terms of Tetris information and, and publishing rights. And so it was Robert Stein that Hank Rogers ended up going to. So Hank Rogers, I think you can work out, he's obviously not Japanese, but he wanted to try and get the rights for Tetris. And so he did work with Robert Stein, but he also realized that he needed to go not quite back to the source, not back to Alexei, but he needed to deal with the actual Soviet Union. And in the end, 
there was basically a new terms and conditions, a new contract created for, by Henk for Nintendo, which was very carefully worded, which in ultimately meant that Robert Stein's what he claimed to have properties of they didn't technically take it away from it but they started redefining what a computer was so that nintendo by those terms was not bound to any of stein's actual original agreements sounds complicated watch the movie they do a good job of sort of like walking you through all of this again they don't involve every single step they don't involve every single person in this i haven't even told you all the people involved in this all different companies and so what we have in 1989 is actually a legal argument that goes on in court, basically between Atari, which was represented by Robert Maxwell. He had shares in it. Now, Robert Maxwell, if you don't know, he's a Czechoslovakian-born, I believe he's a, of Jewish descent. He became an MP in Britain. He became a huge media magnate. He was also done for fraud. He also died mysteriously on his yacht i think he fell over the side and they found his body days later you know could have been nefarious means he's a whole thing in and of himself so he's on one side of this court case and basically nintendo's on the other side of the court case and when they start looking at what was later on signed it meant that atari wasn't valid in their claim and so nintendo ultimately won in 89 which opened the floodgates for the Game Boy to have Tetris on it, and the rest, as they say, is history. So what you've got is elements of all of this, and indeed, you know, I am making things sort of fairly simple here. In the movie Tetris, I think it's definitely worth having a look at, and I've mentioned some of these other movies that you might want to check out as well. Just very quickly before I go any further, just to remind everybody we're doing two episodes a week now, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so each one's about 35 40 minutes long it shouldn't take you too much time to watch both or listen to both of them thank you very much for downloading them please subscribe and because i'm doing two a week i could always do with some ideas so i'm at gem on twitter i think there'll be a link below this on the podcast love to hear your thoughts did you play tetris were you any good at it there are indeed championships with tetris as well there are world records associated with tetris there are all you know it is a thing in and of itself so I'm just sort of like wrapping up here and saying, if you haven't played Tetris for a long time, you'll be amazed at all the different ways that you can play Tetris. And there are some beautiful, like, yes, graphically improved versions of Tetris, but you can't get around the fact it is fundamentally four tiles in different shapes cascading down the screen, just like it was with basically glowing blobs in 1984 on the Electronica 60. If indeed anybody did live behind the Iron Curtain in the 1980s or early 90s, I'd be curious if anybody has even had access to an Electronica 60. So yeah, please come talk to me. Hello, it's great to hear from you. And as always, another podcast coming soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.